Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions and provides unbiased answers. Chart is definitely in a downtrend and it's uh, it's definitely not cheap enough yet. Invest Talk. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, July 27th, 2022 edition. I'm Justin Klein. I look forward to this hour with you, giving you my straight and unbiased answers to your finance and investment questions. And today's investment situation is different than we've seen over the past few decades, and the inflationary environment means you need to refocus. And that's our job here, is to focus you on what matters, not the headlines, but what's happening underneath the surface. Oftentimes, it's the unsexy stuff that really will drive economies, drive companies, drive sectors, uh, not what the latest talking point or the most interesting talking point uh, might be. So we're going to discuss a few of those today uh, and try to help you take that next step in your journey. Uh, and, you know, today was Fed Day. It was a very interesting day in the markets. And uh, it's kind of what I've been saying. Uh, there's a lot of negative sentiment we, set, we saw there. Uh, a lot of people worried about what's happening uh, in the markets and positioned accordingly. Uh, record levels of inverse ETF and mutual fund exposure, which means that a lot of people betting on the downside of the market. And usually when that happens, it's too late. It's too late. And that's why you don't want to be chasing kind of short-term returns. You want to be focused on the details, focused on the fundamentals of the economy and the companies you're invested in. And that's what we're here to help you do. So I invite your phone calls and questions right now during our live program from 4 to 5 Pacific time. Or if you're listening after hours, you can give us a call as well and leave your message on our 24-hour listener line. Either way, the number never changes. It's 888-99-CHART. So let's get right to the first question, listener question now. Hey, Steve or Justin. This is Michael from Alabama. I had a question about ticker symbol WMS, Advanced Drainage Systems. We spec out this product a lot where I work and just kind of wanted to know what your thoughts on the company were, what would be a good entry point for them, and just uh, the sector that it's in, kind of what that sector looks like moving forward. Appreciate what you guys do. All right. This is Advanced Drainage Systems, about a $9 billion market cap. They're engaged in designing, manufacturing, and marketing thermoplastic corrugated pipe and related water management products here in the U.S., North, North and South America, and in Europe. So pretty worldwide. That's a good thing. That diversification typically now with a strong dollar, that's going to be a bit of a headwind in the near term. But they serve all types of industries: agriculture, aviation, military, mining, residential, transportation, etc. So pretty nice size, I would say medium or mid cap 
industrial name. Uh, I like that. Obviously, as building slows a bit with the, the housing market slowing, that's going to reduce a bit of demand for their type of, types of products. But overall, they're still growing nicely, supposed to make a five on nearly $6 per share next year, putting the forward PE somewhere trading at about $110 per share today. So that's putting it somewhere in the high teens on a forward looking basis, which is, you know, not not terrible. Uh, let's look at the longer term. What does this typically trade at? Because uh, it's going to be more of a relatively slow growth name. Uh, it's at about 18 times enterprise value to EBITDA. The average over the past five years is 22. The median is 14. So basically, I like to look at the median more than the average because there can be outliers. And this one, there is some outliers back in uh, 2020 when the stock really sank. And so uh, I like to to look at that. So it is a bit overvalued based on uh, that metric alone, but that's only one metric. Now, the technicals are certainly improving Hit a low of around 80 just about a month ago, now all the way up to 110. So it's certainly a bit overbought near term. I like the, the move recently, though. It's pretty strong. Um, I just don't love how uh, that, that it is still a little bit overvalued um, in, in my mind. Price to sales ratio, about 2.9. Let's see where that uh, typically lies. Yeah, that's usually closer to one, one and a half. So I think this is uh, still a bit overvalued and I would be patient on the name. I like the company, you know, the return on invested capital, 14%. Uh, historically, that uh, does it is, it is pretty good, but typically not this high. So um, I, I like the company overall. I would just like this at a lower price. It's just not screaming uh, a buy for me at the current time. I'll give you a price here. And my price target would be right around 65, 60, uh, call it mid to high 60s. That's where I would be excited to pick up this name. But uh, for right now, I would be patient on it. Thanks for the call. My focus point today is based on this headline. Before you chase dividends, here's what you need to know. Now, investors sometimes chase dividends, especially in a, in a rocky market, mar market environment, but most don't understand the risks. So we're going to look at various risks to consider when being a dividend investor. Also want to look at some trends when it comes to onshoring manufacturing and or, or using the term reshoring. And during the second quarter earnings calls, the term reshoring reached record levels, record levels. And that's even, that's only about a quarter through the total S&P 500 companies reporting. So we're going to look at that data and unpack those trends. And then also want to look at the crypto banks that have uh, kind of crumbled and as a good learning lesson of not to chase for yield too much. And if you do, make sure you understand your risks. And then lastly, we're gonna look at the junk bond market. What is happening over there? Because credit markets are an important part of keeping the economy functioning. And how is that evolving? So we're gonna look at that. Now let's take a look at the market today. The S&P was up about 102 points, about two and a half percent on the back of the Fed raising three quarters of, of uh, 1%. And as we've said before, these announcements are priced in. It's irrelevant to the market. The market knew that they were going to raise 75 basis points. It's all about what is expected going forward. And what really sparked the market was a an admission 
by Jerome Powell during the press conference that, hey, the economic data most more recently has started to come in pretty light and, and, and showing that the economy is slowing. So that's the first time the Fed has kind of acknowledged that. Uh, now, it didn't really promise what it's going to do going forward. Basically, uh, they're going to be data dependent going uh, going forward. So right now, the betting market is putting a, uh, the highest probability of a 50 basis point increase at the Fed meeting in September. Remember, this is late late July. It's every six weeks. So August, there is no Fed meeting. So mid-September, there will be another one. And it's uh, expected to be a 65% chance it'll be 50 basis points. And that's up from a 50% chance yesterday. So certainly a dovish pivot or dovish hike on the part of the Fed. And that's what sparked the markets so far today. Now we're heading into a break. And this is your chance to call with your finance and investment questions. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor. 888-99-CHART. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Good afternoon, Stephen Justin. I've got a two tier question. I am a small business owner in Central Florida and could receive an economic industry disaster, you know, an EID loan of $16,000 from COVID. And I just wanted to know, first off, a good way to use those funds, either for what may be forgivable or just a way to beat inflation in general, uh, should I have to repay them? The secondly, I basically do work on small engines and generators are one thing that in Florida is a big deal and more and more are running on propane. You know, curious as to how you feel about the propane as a commodity play, as more and more units are starting to run on that. And if you do think that propane is worth looking into, and I know you can't recommend particular stocks, but would you be able to identify some major companies in the propane sector that are trading on the major markets and in general, just how you feel about propane in general? Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right. Good question. Two questions. Uh, the first one, I, I don't have a whole lot of, uh, I don't have a lot of insight into 
these EIDL loans in regards to COVID-19. They're kind of uh, through the SBA department, and there are some stipulations on how you can use it and uh, and how you can get forgiveness. I'm not an expert in that, but uh, so I, I'm the wrong person to, to ask on that front. Um, now, what you should do with that money is make sure that it's appropriated so that you uh, do get it uh, eventually um, uh, forgiven. That's number one. Uh, now, on the propane side, there are companies like uh, SPH, which is Suburban Propane Lim Partners LP. It's a limited partnership, so the dividends are tax rate or near income tax rate, etc. Um, and they distribute propane, fuel oil, etc. Throughout the United States, and that's one way to do it. Uh, there are probably others as well. Um, not to say you should go buy this one in particular, but that's the first one that comes uh, to the top of my head. Uh, and I think that's a, a good way to look at it. There is a shortage of propane, and uh, the companies that can gather and uh, distribute that propane are certainly going to uh, earn an excise profit. And you see that with uh, SPH, where their business uh, was about a dollar ten in earnings in 2019, and it's supposed to make $2.44 this year. So certainly uh, improving on that side. So not to say you should buy that one particular uh, company, but that is uh, one that dabbles in the propane space. Thanks for the call. Now let's go talk about our main focus point, which is dividend investing. And a lot of people like to chase dividends, especially in times of possible recession, bear market. Investors uh, often pivot towards those companies that uh, are less volatile. And dividend payers do tend to be less volatile, tend to be, not all of them, but they do tend to be less volatile. And from 1973 to 2021, companies paying dividends earned about a 9.6% total annual return on average. That's beating the 8.2% average return from the S&P 500 as a whole. And the non-dividend payers only yielded 4.79% over that time period. So over the long term, it is good to be invested in Dividend payers doesn't mean you have to invest exclusively, but investing in dividend payers typically does pay off as long as they can continue to pay that dividend and ideally grow the dividend over time. That's what's most important, not just what the dividend amount is today, the, the, the yield, but what their path of the dividend payments are over the long term. Now, dividend funds have added $43 billion in new assets from investors this year, so it just shows you that money is flowing in that direction. But people tend to chase those dividends and they don't understand the risks. And dividend paying companies are typically going to have higher levels of free cash flow, earnings, and consistency of their business. But they tend to be larger, more mature companies with slower growth. So as you see the growth of your names, most of them don't pay a dividend either because their, their profitability is not there yet or uh, it's very minimal. Uh, they, they, they often don't, they don't pay out that dividend. Um, until they're they're until later, uh, and so as people sell off those growth names, they're moving more into the value side of the market, the dividend side of the market, and <clears throat> people like dividends. Companies and paying companies because they're slow, typically slow to cut that dividend, and provide people with steady cash flows. And one thing you have to understand though is that these dividends are not sacrosanct, meaning they could be cut at any time. So there's obviously the annual dividend per share and the current share price. You divide one by the other, you get the dividend yield. 
And one of the main reasons why a lot of companies are paying a high dividend yield is because their stock fell, not necessarily because their dividend grew at a dramatic rate. So those are the ones you have to worry about most about, the ones that the stock fell because their business is, is on the heels and therefore their dividend yield is higher. And those are the ones that are most at risk for cutting their dividend. Now we're heading into a break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced? Or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz. We're going to talk to Taylor in Philadelphia looking at PayPal. Hey, Justin. How's it going? Going pretty well. Um, so PayPal is a company that has been on my watch list, and I've been uh, kind of averaging in. Um, and today happened to be the day when I was supposed to pick up a little bit more, and I saw some news came out about an activist company that had made a big investment, and it, it spiked pretty dramatically. Mm-hmm. I just was hoping you could comment on that and um, you know, what your thoughts were at the valuations currently. Well, I, I have said this for the past couple months now, as you've, you probably know, is that PayPal is one of the tech companies that have gotten down to levels that are at least reasonable uh, when it comes to valuation. Uh, enterprise value about 16.8 after today's move, which is, you know, the, the mid to low teens is where you start to get, uh, uh, it gets pretty interesting. And, you know, the biggest issue with PayPal is that growth is slowing dramatically. In fact, earnings are expected to drop 17% this year back to 2020 levels, basically actually a little bit below 2020 levels. So how much, you know, do you pay a high multiple for something that is, is shrinking? That's a big question. Still a hundred billion dollar market cap. So, not a not a small market cap, but they have a pristine balance sheet, and that's good. Uh, so, you know, I, the activists getting involved does not shock me. Um, you know, how much impact will they really have? What can PayPal do exactly? I think, you know, I think they've they've struggled. The stock has struggled recently, just because of a reversion to the mean. Um, the vast majority of the growth in the tech space over, you know, post COVID was a pull forward in demand. So when you start to comp those years, 2020, early 2021, and you look at the the revenue earnings growth, it's going to turn negative because those were over earning times. Those that's where d- demand was uh, over what was natural because of shutdowns and you know what we were dealing with uh, with 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 the. Uh, with the pandemic. So uh, I, I think technically there is some upside. Now, is it going to get back to $300 per share? Don't expect that, you know, just because it was trading there. Don't think that, oh, well, you know, it'll eventually recover and get back to that, that level. Uh-uh. That's not a way to think about it. It's uh, you have to look at it on its own. You almost have to ignore that time period because it was such an anomaly. 
um, but what is, uh, what, what's it going to have uh, when it comes to long-term growth? And I would go back to pre-COVID levels and see what type of uh, earnings growth it had. And it was in the high teens, low 20% range almost every year. And that what that's that's something that you can model after. Not the huge increase from $3 all the way to $4.60 last year. Just they did that in, in, in two years. Um, so uh, I do think there is some good, uh, there's a decent value here, uh, but don't expect this to get back to 300. 150, one, one, you know, in 175, somewhere in that range, I think that's certainly a possibility. Um, but don't, you know, make sure that you are taking profits on the way up um, because, you know, this is still a growthier name and it's going to have a lot of volatility and you should expect that. All right, let's pivot over to Luke. He's in Wisconsin and he's looking at FF, which is Future Fuels Inc. Hey, Justin. Um, I've had this one on my watch list for a while, and they just have a really uh, strong balance sheet. Seem like they have good cash flows, and on the fundamental side, they seem pretty strong. I would just like to get your opinion on them and um, if you know anything about the biofuel and biodiesel industry, I'd like to get your insight on that as well. Thank you. Yeah. So this is Future Fuels, and they manufacture custom-specific chemicals, performance chemicals, and biofuels used in, in biodiesel. They do have uh, a, a, a pristine balance sheet, like you said, a lot of uh, net cash. Enterprise value to EBITDA uh, is currently at 5.3, which is very low. So uh, I like that. The main issue for this is that it lost money last quarter so its business is very up and down this isn't a consistent business and that's what worries me the most and then if you look at the chart over the past you go to a monthly chart and zoom out since 2008 it's basically at the same price as 2008 uh and that's what worries me is why does it continue to languish? Return on invested capital right now is about 7.8, and it vacillates between uh, the mid-teens and the low single digits. So the average over the last five years is about 12, which is decent. Um, but you know, why has the stock price really gone nowhere? And that worries me the most, is that their business just hasn't grown over the long period. Look at cash from operations. It's pretty much flat over the last 10 years. Um, so the balance sheet is good. It does pay the nice 3.3% dividend. But I want a company that is is growing. It doesn't have to grow a ton, but have some growth over a decade. And it has absolutely none. So when you have a no growth business, it's natural for it to trade at very low multiples. Um, you know, Is it at support? Sure. This would be more to me like a trading range. Like I buy it here, get gets into around the ten, twelve dollar level, trim it back, sell some, sell all of it, uh, etc. Because it's basically in that trading range between six and fourteen dollars for the last decade, uh, and maybe you play that range. That's probably the only way I would think about this name. Thanks for the call. 8899 chart, 8899 On the next invest talk, the story behind this headline. As mortgage rates soared, pending home sales fell 20% in June. I'll get to that story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your calls at 888 chart eBay Motors is here for the ride. 
Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs. eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors. And I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Now we're going to head up to Fremont and talk to Suresh, and he wants to ask about Shopify. You own it or looking to buy it? I'm looking to buy it. Okay, why? Um, it's one of the stocks that I've always, you know, wanted to buy because of the growth that we saw in the past, and I sort of missed the opportunity, and now it has it has come down. So I was looking uh, for a good entry point. Okay. And do you do you have one in, in top of your mind, an entry point? I don't know. I mean, I, you know, if I just go by the history, it has gone up, you know, uh, quite a bit. So I was thinking just, you know, buying it, you know, one of these days uh, okay. at the current price. So the history you're talking about, the stock history, stock price history, correct? The stock history, correct. Okay. And yeah. what do you know about the earnings, cash flow, fundamentals, et cetera? 
I know that the PE seems a little on the higher, <laughs> on the higher side, uh-huh. which is why I thought I'd just give you a call and uh, get your perspective on the. I mean, where, where do you think the stock should be trading, and should I hold off or just jump in? Okay. Well, that's what you need to always think about is those fundamentals. And that's one mistake a lot of people are going to start to make over this, uh, this recent drop in these tech names is looking back at the history and saying, oh, it was trading at X price, it'll get back there. Don't ever think that. It's, that's one thing I need to shake every listener of is that just because it was trading at one valuation at one point does not mean nothing about the future, okay? It's all about the future of the business. And the uh, there was a lot of anomalies that happened within the first um, you know, 12, 18 months uh, post uh, the, the shutdowns. So understand that, especially in the tech world. Now, Shopify came out with earnings and they disappointed. They lost three cents last quarter, which is the first loss uh, in a while. And revenue was only up 16% after, you know, a year ago it was growing 110%. So uh, this is that reversion to the mean. Uh, the CEO even kind of confessed that they made some bad bets on the, that the, the, the trends in during the COVID shutdowns were going to sustain themselves longer term and they just simply have not. And that's the issue here. It's supposed to only make eight cents this year, 20 cents next year. And even if you go based on the fact that they might make 20 cents next year, might be because analysts are starting to downgrade those numbers as well. You're talking about 150 plus forward looking uh, multiple, way, way, way too expensive. Okay. So enterprise value to free cash flow is 176 times. It's still a $44 billion market cap. Now, the good thing is they have a pristine balance sheet, uh, very little debt, et cetera, but they're, they're not profitable. So uh, this is also a name that's on my watch list to eventually buy at some point to keep an eye on because I do think they have a good platform. But I think this is a name that's going to grind lower for a long period of time. This is only interesting to me probably in the teens and I would say the low teens. It's at 35 and change today. Uh, I, I think they're going to struggle for a long period of time to figure out that their platform. Uh, and I don't think a $44 billion market cap is... Is the right is the right value for this this company? I think it's much much lower. Uh, they have a lot of competition uh, with other types of platforms, even though they're the best. My girlfriend uses Shopify with her uh, skin line and everything, and it's it, it, it's great. Um, but it's not turning into consistent profitability. You know, pre COVID, they were making three cents a share. Who's to say they can't go back there? Uh, and back then, they were trading back in the teens. So uh, I'm gonna absolutely pass on Shopify at the current time. I think this is a name that's just going to bleed lower until there's mass capitulation, and then you might uh, find an opportunity to buy it. But I don't think we're anywhere close to that. Thanks for the call. Now let's pivot over to reshoring. And this is, we're about a quarter of the way through the earnings season for the S&P 500. And according to data from Bank of America, the term reshoring has spiked to a record level during the second quarter earnings calls. And it's just the latest sign that these large companies are moving away from globalization. I've talked about this for a while, that there's different trends that are driving inflation structurally higher. And a lot of it is a reversal of trends over the past 30 years or so. 
globalization is turning into deglobalization. Exporting of raw materials from Russia is turning out to, uh, you know, be cut off, and and that's going to likely uh, dwindle over time. And ESG mandates as well. So all those things are driving uh, inflation structurally higher. And uh, the leaders of these S&P 500 companies are starting to discuss this more and more. And they want to be less reliant on long shipping routes. And so they don't want shipping delays. And increasing costs have become part of the equation meaning uh, increase of shipping as well as uh, the labor costs over uh, in Asia, especially. Now, companies are combining an increase in capital spending with the reshoring efforts, meaning that companies are actually investing a lot in automation and uh, rather in technology rather than hiring a ton of U.S. workers. One issue is the labor market's tight. So labor is uh, hard to come by here in the U.S. So a lot of it is about CapEx. And companies in the S&P, led by industrial firms, are increasing capital expenditures in the second quarter by 24% year over year. That's up from 20% in the first quarter. And uh, materials companies are also up there, information technology, financials, consumer discretionary, and consumer staples are all growing their capex year over year. The only industries that are lowering it are energy and real estate. And the energy part has a lot to do with the ESG mandates. And real estate is obviously just a slowdown in the real estate market. So capex is is being spent and growing, which is honestly a good thing for the economy as a whole. That's one thing that's very underrated about this economy. As you have higher interest rates, that does cause margin compression and uh, does cause some issues. But a lot of that onshoring of manufacturing is giving a boost to the industrial side of our market, the real businesses, not the pie in the sky innovation type companies that most people are interested in and get excited about. What you should be excited about is that reshoring uh, process that's going to take many years. And there's going to be many, many companies that are going to benefit from them. And a lot of them are in the industrial space, because if you are bringing manufacturing back, you're going to need plant property and equipment in order to get those up and running. And many of uh, we have many great industrial companies uh, to that, that operate here and globally and uh, are great investments and I think are going to be some of the best performers over the next decade as we go through this process. So governments and firms are examining these connections and what they're doing, trying to do is minimize exposure to the uh, global supply chains and, and, and the, the geopolitical risks and social turmoil, obviously, with uh, populism kind of rising uh, worldwide, it's a, kind of a backlash on this exporting of jobs. And and so this is also something with see the chip manufacturing bill that's going through Congress right now. That's in one way for governments to kind of uh, push back and try to help companies reshore manufacturing. And uh, large S&P 500 companies are recruiting more in their home countries and less cross-border M&A activity as well. So not only are they uh, refocusing on their domestic uh, supply chains, but also the domestic companies and not uh, acquiring overseas nearly as much. Now let's keep things moving and go back to the Talk Voice Bank at 888 chart Hey guys, got a quick question for you. I wonder uh, your opinion if you think this is a smart move or not. I bought Occidental at $24, bought a position, and it's 
now at 62. I also bought some Exxon at 52, and it's now at 90. My plan was to sell half my position in those and take that and get some of uh, WBS Woodside Energy and EQT Energy as well. The thinking there is, is that those are going to replace what the, the natural gas that Russia was going to provide to Europe. So I just didn't know if selling the Oxy and the Exxon was a good idea to get into that space. didn't want to give up my whole position, especially with Oxy and all the everything Warren Buffett's doing with that. So I wonder if you think selling half my position is a good idea or not. And I would uh, appreciate your advice. Thanks. Well, the first thing, I, I don't know your entire portfolio, so it's always hard for me to say, should you trim or not? But uh, what you want to think about is what would this do to your uh, portfolio? What would exposure would this uh, shift you to? And shifting more exposure to the natural gas side of the market, I think, is a, a good way to go. It, Oxy, Occidental has 75% of its production is in oil, 25% is in natural gas. So if you can find names that have more natural gas exposure, then uh, I think that's uh, typically going to be a good way to go. Now, Exxon, that has a lot of different types of businesses, but uh, they have pretty good exposure to the, the natural gas space compared to most other of the large integrated producers. Uh, looks like, what is it? Yeah, 66% of its production was in liquids of some kind. So oil and natural gas liquids, uh, and then rest would be in, in natural gas. So a little bit better mix there uh, on Exxon. So if I'm going to trim one over the other and to try to move to more natural gas exposure, it's going to be Oxy. And I like the diversity of Exxon's business as well. They have downstream uh, refining and uh, petrochemical uh, facilities that smooths out their, their business model um, a little bit more in their, in their earnings cycle. So I, I like that. Um, but how you want to shift that is just talk about what does that, what does that put your portfolio more exposed to? And it's going to put you more exposed, it sounds like, to natural gas. And I think that's a good thing. So I like your plan. Now, I think it's safe to say that a lot of people are pretty amazed at how the investment environment has changed over the last year, and especially newer investors. And the reason it's shocked a lot of people is just they haven't experienced normal markets, markets where the cost of capital is something, where value outperforms growth. And frankly, over the long term, value does tend to outperform growthier names. Uh, there are periods, actually, if you look back in history, the only two main long periods where growth outperformed value were leading up to the Great Depression in the 20s and from the financial crisis until uh, just last year. So this is a new reality for a lot of investors. But if you've been around a long time like I have, you know that these are kind of more normal markets. And... The big question is, are you prepared? Are you, do you have the experience? Do you have the know-how, the discipline to, and, and the knowledge and the data in order to allocate your portfolio properly? Well, if you need help with that, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, where we operate 
with the same philosophy, which is independent thinking and shared success, which means we provide unbiased guidance both on and off air. And we practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients. So if you want to set up a time with myself, just send us a message through investtalk.com or call our KPP financial office in Irvine, 800-557-5461. We'd love to help you in any way. Now, the sooner you contact us, the sooner we can help you get your portfolio optimized for what's happening in today's market. Pick up the opportunities and avoid the risks as, as much as you can, right? Now, let's pivot over to what are we going to talk about? Let's talk a little bit about people chasing yield. And this recent bout with stable coins and the subsequent crashes in things like Celsius and in uh, what's the other one, Terra. And then in Voyager Digital, these are all names that were offering high yields, 10, 12, 20% yields. And many, many people put big bets uh, on them. And, and some even arbitrage, taking money out of their, uh, their mortgage, uh, their, their home equity line of credit, you know, borrowing at you know, three, four percent and investing at 10 percent and trying to make that spread. And and sometimes that can be a good thing, but it just shows you if you're trying to chase yield, you have to be very careful of the overall risks and you have to be very you have to scrutinize marketing, especially in the crypto space, because the marketing jargon can fool you into thinking that things are safe. For example, Voyager Digital said that their money was backed by the government banking insurance system because they were working with a New York bank. But the problem was, is all the assets were held in one account. So it was only, it was only, uh, it was only backed by up to $250,000 in insurance. And then the rest was not. And Voyager still hasn't repaid their customers. Celsius has gone bankrupt and Terra, Terra also, uh, you know, it's having, uh, it, it, you know, it, it crashed near, near zero as well and wiped many, many people out that were chasing that yield. So this is kind of similar to chasing yield in the equity markets. You can chase yield in multiple areas, whether that is in bonds, high yield bonds, for example. We've seen people uh, invest in things like Puerto Rican bonds and that I mean, back when that blew up. Uh, we've seen people invest in these uh, these stable coins and trying to chase yields there. Uh, others, it's investing in companies that uh, just can't sustain their dividend payouts. Uh, and in all of those cases, this you have to realize what risks are you taking and account for them and diversify away. And one big issue with most of these people in the stable coins market is they put all of their savings, right, thinking that it's 100% backed. And when you're getting above average yields in anything, you are taking above average risk. And that's the first thing you have to understand. And that's why if you ever do anything like this, you need to, you need to have it as a small percentage of your portfolio, small percentage of your assets. So if there is a blow, if there is a bankruptcy, you aren't wiped out completely. Now we're heading into our final break and I'm ready to help you achieve your financial freedom. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? 
Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hello, Justin and Steve. Longtime listener. Learned a great deal from your show. My question is today, I'm interested in purchasing an ETF, buying into it. it the symbol is V as in Victor, G as in good, T as in Tom. It is a Vanguard Informational Technology ETF. And I know that we discussed that these sectors have gotten beaten up quite a bit. Is this a good time to get in? It is or it isn't, but maybe you can give us a little guidance on that. Thank you very much, and I'll be listening for it on the podcast. All right, this is VGT, the Vanguard Information Technology ETF. And as you would expect by the name, this is filled with a lot of growthier tech names. Uh, 23% of the portfolio is Apple, which is a good thing, probably the safest of the large tech names uh, because the stability of their iOS platform and, and their revenues as opposed to most of the others are software or uh, some sort of chip companies, things like that that tend to be a lot more cyclical and I don't, I don't like that. So, you know, near term, you're getting a, a bit of a bounce an oversold bounce, uh, especially if uh, interest rates uh, do even out here, I could see this having some upside in the near term, but this is not a name that I think uh, is going to be a great buy longer term uh, at these levels. Like you said, it's come down, but uh, the valuations are still uh, above average and uh, there's still some cyclical downside for many of the names. You see that with Microsoft having a tough quarter as well. That's the second uh, highest rate uh, weighting here, about 18, 19%. So you have over 40% in just Apple and Microsoft. So that's another reason I wouldn't love this is just that high concentration in those two names. So I'm passing on VGT, Vanguard Information Technology. Now, lastly, let's pivot over to the junk bond market. And give you a rundown of what's happening there. Now, only about $74 billion of new junk bond issues have hit the market so far this year. That's down from $300 billion for the same period last year. So about a quarter of what we what was issued last year. Now, $80 billion, uh, there's an $80 billion drop in net supply of high yield bonds. And that figure is expected to grow to 130 by the end of the year. And that would be a record annual decline of net issuance in the bond and the junk bond market. Now, the yield you're getting in the junk bond market above treasuries has risen to about 5% from 3.1% in January. And that's still well below the the 11% we had in March 2020 when we had the COVID shutdowns. But the historical range is between about 3.75 and 4.5%. Five. So going into the year, we were below the historical average, and now we're just above the historical average. But it's not to a level that is indicating financial stress. And this is certainly an area of the market the, the Fed is, is focused on and going to think about and watch. Now, high-yield bonds trading in the secondary market are at about $1.4 trillion of notional value. And a lot of that was issued in 2020 and 2021 because rates were so low. 900 of the 101.4 trillion was were in just those two years. Now, the higher rates are certainly stopping people or stopping companies from issuing uh, more bonds because 
they don't want to pay the high yields that uh, are needed in this market. Currently, uh, the high yield index yields about 7.92%. That's up. Uh, that's down from the 8.62% just uh, about a month ago, but up sharply from the start of the year of only 4.2%. So yields have basically doubled in the high yield market since the beginning of the year. Now, about $64 billion of bonds have actually migrated from investment grade to the speculative status. So about 64 billion have been downgraded. 19 billion in bonds, uh, excuse me, those were upgraded to uh, investment status. So that's what's interesting is uh, some of those, a lot of energy names are being upgraded into investment grade and only 19 billion are being downgraded from investment grade to junk. And investors pulled about $45 billion from high-yield bond funds in the first half of the year. That's the highest two-quarter total since 1992. But what's interesting is that high-yield bond funds are only down 10% this year. Investment-grade bond funds, because they tend to have longer maturities and lower yields, that's down 14% this year. So it just shows you shorter duration, lower credit quality is outperforming this market, and I expect that to be a better strategy longer term. Well... I think that wraps it up for today. This has been another invest episode of Invest Talk. I am Justin Klein. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. And we've now are quickly closing in on 44 million. Almost there. Thanks to you. You can get your shows anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes. And if you leave your brief question with your ratings, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. Invest Talk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial.